And so we proceed to questions to the Prime Minister, Sir Michael Fabricant. Thank you, Madam Deputy Speaker. Question number one. Uh, Madam Deputy Speaker, can I welcome you to your place? And I know the whole House will wish the Speaker a speedy recovery. And before I answer my honourable friend's question, I know the whole House will also want to join me in offering our condolences to the family and friends of Alistair Darling, Glenys Kinnock, and Lord James Douglas Hamilton. They made each an enormous contribution to public life and will be deeply missed. Madam Deputy Speaker, the Hillsborough families have suffered multiple injustices. The loss of 97 lives the blaming of the fans and the unforgivable institutional defensiveness by public bodies. I am profoundly sorry for what they have been through. Today, the Government has published its response to Bishop James Jones's report to ensure the pain and the suffering of the Hillsborough families is not repeated. I am immensely grateful they have shared their experiences. I hope to meet them in the new year, and the Justice Secretary will making an oral statement after PMQs. Turning to my honourable friend's question, the Government is continuing to work closely with the Mayor of the West Midlands to fully develop his plans to deliver growth. Sir Michael Fabricant. Well, firstly, may I join the Prime Minister in his comments about the Hillsborough families. It's thanks to Margaret Thatcher and her robust treatment of militant trade unions in the West Midlands her contribution of £10 billion at today's prices to the motor industry in the West Midlands that iconic names like Jaguar and Land Rover still exist. So does the Prime Minister share my boundless joy that on the road to Damascus and in recognition of her great heritage and all that she achieved... Another, another fanboy, another fanboy has joined her great belief, the leader of the opposition. Prime Minister. Uh, well, Madam, Madam Deputy Speaker, the right honourable gentleman is a fantastic. Uh, champion of his area, and because of the pro-business policies of this government, I'm delighted to see the billions of pounds of investment by JLR in their move towards electrification in the region. But he is absolutely right. I am always happy to welcome new Thatcherites from all sides of this house. But it, it does, it does, it does, it does say something about the leader of the opposition that the main female strong leader that he could praise is Margaret Thatcher and not his own fantastic deputy. Since since question one was a closed question, we now go to question two, Sarah Champion. (coughs) Thank you, Madam Deputy Speaker. Question number two. Madam Deputy Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Sir Champion. Thank you, Madam Deputy Speaker. The Government is set to close the Household Support Scheme in March, cutting off crucial free meals for 12,000 Rotherham's children in the lowest income families. With the government's cost of living crisis in full swing and energy prices about to increase again, how does the Prime Minister justify taking food from the mouths of my poorest children? Shame. 
Madam, Madam Deputy Speaker, what we are doing is ensuring that no child should grow up in poverty, and that's why not only this year we've provided considerable cost of living support worth over £3,000 to a typical household, more support this winter for pensioners, a record increase in the national living wage, and a full indexation and uplifting of welfare for the next financial year. But when it comes to children and food, Madam Deputy Speaker, not only uh, do we fund the free school meals for almost two million children, we also introduce the holiday activity and food programme, which provides not just food but enriching activities to deprive children up and down the entire country, including in her local authority. If there is one place where everyone should feel safe, it's in their own home. But the reality is that for some of the most vulnerable people, home is precisely where they can be most at risk. Terrorised by criminals who target them, move in, take control and set up a base camp from where they sell drugs or facilitate prostitution in a horrendous form of exploitation known as cuckooing. It has happened in Eastbourne and it is happening across the country. It is not an offence, but it should be, and wasn't cited in the Criminal Justice Bill debated last week. So can I ask my right honourable friend and the Home Secretary if uh, they would meet with me and concerned colleagues to further discuss the issue? I agree with my honourable friend that cooking is an abhorrent practice that does often prey on the most vulnerable in society. As part of the Government's Antisocial Behaviour Action Plan, the Home Office engaged with relevant stakeholders about whether a new criminal offence was necessary. The results of that engagement demonstrated that there are a range of existing powers that can be used to disrupt this activity, but of course I will ensure that the relevant Minister meets with her and updates on the work we are doing to share effective practice to tackle this abhorrent problem. Leader of the Opposition, Sir Keir Starmer. Thank you, Madam Deputy Speaker, and it's very good to see you in your place, and we wish the Speaker a speedy recovery. Uh, this week we lost two giants of the Labour family, and I thank the Prime Minister for his comments. Alistair Darling was a man of unassuming intelligence, warmth and kindness. He brought a calm expertise and, in private, a cutting wit, and devoted his love of his family was ever-present. Our thoughts are with Maggie, his wife, Callum, Anna, who he loved so dearly. Glenis Kinnock was a passionate campaigner for social justice who changed lives home and abroad. She was a loving and supportive partner and mother, and her death is a huge loss to all of us. We are thinking of Neil, of Stephen, Rachel, and of all the family. Can I also echo the Prime Minister's comments in relation to Lord Douglas Hamilton and in relation to the Hillsborough families. They deserve justice. In a previous capacity, I worked with the families. They waited a very, very long time for the findings, thanks to people in this House, um, and they've waited a long time for this response, but I'm glad it is now coming. Madam Deputy Speaker, if the purpose of the Rwanda gimmick was to solve a political headache of the Tories' own making, to get people out of the country who they simply couldn't deal with, then it's been a resounding success. After all, they've managed to send three Home Secretaries there, an achievement for which the whole country can be grateful. 
So, apart from members of his own cabinet, how many people has the Prime Minister sent to Rwanda? Well, Madam Deputy Speaker, as I've been clear before, we will do everything it takes. Mr Speaker, we will do everything it takes to get this scheme working so that we can indeed stop the boats. And that's why this week we have signed a new legally binding treaty with Rwanda, which together with new legislation will address all the concerns that have been raised, because everyone should be in no doubt about our absolute commitment to stop the boats and get flights off. Because, Madam Deputy Speaker, and this is the crucial point that the Honourable Gentleman doesn't understand, deterrence is critical. Even the National Crime Agency have said that you need an effective removals and deterrence agreement if you truly want to break the cycle of tragedy that we see. But what we heard this morning from his own ministers was that was that they would scrap the scheme even when it is operational and working. As again, once again, Mr Speaker, once again, instead of being on the side of the British people, he finds himself on the side of the people smugglers. Madam Deputy Speaker, when they first announced this gimmick, they claimed Rwanda would settle tens of thousands of people. Tens of thousands of people. <laughs> then the deputy former Prime Minister quickly whittled it down to mere hundreds. Yeah. Then the Court of Appeal in June made clear there's housing for just 100. The current number of people sent there remains stubbornly consistent. Zero. <laughs> at, the same, at the same time, at the same time, Madam Deputy, Article 19 of the treaty says the parties shall make arrangements for the United Kingdom to resettle a portion of Rwanda's most vulnerable refugees in the United Kingdom. So, how many refugees from Rwanda will be coming here to the UK under the treaty? Mr. Speaker, what? Madam Deputy Speaker, sorry. Madam Order! Prime Minister. It addresses all the concerns of the Supreme Court. But I, it's, it's a point of pride, Madam Deputy Speaker, that we are a compassionate country that does welcome people from around the world. But, but let's just, let me just get the Honourable Gentleman up to speed on what we are doing. Reduce the number of illegal arrivals from Albania by 90%. Increase the number of illegal working raids by 50%. Because of all the action, we've taken the number of small boat arrivals down by a third, Madam Deputy Speaker. But what is the Honourable Gentleman's plan? Because it comes down to he just simply doesn't have a plan to address this problem. On a, but no, no, I'm probably being unfair because he does have a plan. It's to cook up a deal with the EU that would see us accept 100,000 illegal migrants. Migration has trebled on his watch, and all he can do is make up numbers about the Labour Party. It's really pitiful. I'm not actually sure the Prime Minister can have read this thing. Article 4 says the scheme is capped at Rwanda's capacity. That's 100. Article 5 says Rwanda can turn them away if they want. Article 19 says we actually have to take refugees from Rwanda. How much did this fantastic deal cost us? Prime Minister. Madam Deputy Speaker, as the Home Secretary was crystal clear about, 
There is no incremental money. There is no incremental money that has been provided. This about is ensuring that the concerns of the Supreme Court have all been addressed in a legally binding treaty that will allow us to operationalise the scheme. But I'm glad he raised the topic of legal migration, which I agree is absolutely far too high, Madam Deputy Speaker. That's why this week we've outlined a plan bigger than any other government before to reduce the levels of legal migration by £300. It's an incredibly comprehensive plan. So if he cares so much about it, the simple question for him is, does he support the plan? Madam Deputy Speaker, he clearly hasn't read it. Annex A, Annex A says on top, on top of the £140 million he's already showered on Rwanda, when we send people there under this treaty, we have to pay for their accommodation and their upkeep for five years. And that's not all. This morning, a government minister admitted that anyone we send to Rwanda who commits a crime can be returned to us. I'm beginning to see why the Home Secretary says the Rwanda scheme has something to do with bats, I think, was it? <laughs> what, does, what does he first think attracted Mr Kagame to hundreds of millions of pounds for nothing in return? I've slightly lost the thread of the question, Madam Deputy Speaker. But the, the simple point is, the simple point, the, the simple point is, there's a simple question here. If you believe in stopping the boats, as we on this side of the house do, you need to have an effective deterrence and returns agreement. It's as simple as that. The honourable gentleman is not interested in stopping the boats, which is why he's not interested in the Rwanda plan. In fact, Madam Deputy Speaker, in fact, we know that they don't want to tackle this issue because even when, even when this government was trying to deport foreign national offenders out of this country, they opposed it. Multiple members of his shadow front bench all signed a letter to me to that effect. But I don't need to tell him that because he signed it too. Okay, that's that's enough. <laughs> Sir Keir Starmer. Madam Deputy Speaker, I, I would say that this treaty's got more holes in than the Swiss cheese, but I don't want to wind up the Prime Minister by talking about a European country again. Madam Deputy Speaker, you have to give credit to the Rwandan government. They saw this Prime Minister coming a mile off. You can only imagine their delight, their sheer disbelief when having already banked £140 million of British taxpayer money without housing a single asylum seeker, the Prime Minister appears again with another offer they can't refuse, a gimmick that will send taxpayers' money to Rwanda, refugees from Rwanda to Britain, and won't stop the boats. It was mentioned of Margaret Thatcher earlier. Understandable excitement about the mention of the name. But the House must listen to the Leader of the Opposition, Sir Keir Starmer. Party go from up yours to laws to take our money, Kigami. Mr Speaker. 
Well, Madam Deputy Speaker, I, 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 when, it comes, when it comes to this European thing and Margaret Thatcher, this is, this is the week that the Shadow Foreign Secretary, I think, didn't rule out rejoining the European Union. He can role-play Margaret Thatcher all he wants, but when it comes to Europe, his answer is the same. Yes, yes, yes! Madam Deputy Forget the private jet. He's obviously on a private planet of his own. <laughs> but as we Daily Mail readers learned this week that the Prime Minister has begun to feel sorry for himself. He's even been heard comparing his plight to his beloved Southampton Football Club. I do think that's a bit harsh because Saints have been on an 11-game unbeaten run. While, as the song has it, the Prime Minister gets battered everywhere he goes. <laughs> But if you want the perfect example of how badly the Tories have broken the asylum system, last week the Home Office admitted that 17,000 people in the asylum system. Order! Order! Come on! Sir Keir Starmer. Thank you. If you want the perfect example of how badly they've broken the asylum system, Madam Deputy Speaker, last week the Home Office admitted that 17,000 people in the asylum system have disappeared. Their exact words, it's hard to believe this, we don't think we know where all these people are. Now, you might lose your car keys, you might lose your headphones, you might lose your marbles. How do you lose 17,000 people? Well, Madam Deputy Speaker, I, I mean, on, on the topic of football teams, he, lost, he used to describe interest, this Rwanda policy as immoral, and yet his football team has a Visit Rwanda badge <laughs> on the side of them. But I like, in, the meet, in, the week, in, in the week when he made his big economy speech, we're still waiting to hear how he's going to borrow £28 billion pounds and still cut taxes and reduce debt. It's the same old thing. The sums don't add up. But while they're struggling with their calculator, we're getting on and delivering. A new treaty with Rwanda, the toughest measures to cut legal migration, our schools marching up the tables and tax cuts for millions, Madam Deputy Speaker. So whether it's controlling our borders or lowering our taxes, just like the Saints, the Conservatives are marching on. Thank you, Madam Speaker. Madam Speaker, I'm getting fed up with sitting in traffic jams in my constituency caused by contractors digging up roads involving lane closures and temporary traffic lights, often invoking utility company emergency powers that turn out not to be emergencies, and often with no sign of anybody doing any work, particularly over weekends. So I set up a campaign to name and shame these inconsiderate contractors. But it turns out that when they cause all this chaos, when they breach the rules of their permit, the maximum penalty is an £80 fixed penalty notice. So will the Prime Minister back my campaign and support better enforcement and realistic levels of fines? Yeah. Well, my honourable friend makes an excellent point, and that's why we've set aside £8 billion as a result of our 
plans on HS2, Madam Deputy Speaker, which is enough to resurface over 5,000 miles of road to improve journeys, a cornerstone of our plan. But also, we are introducing a range of measures, as the Honourable Gentleman says, to reduce congestion from roadworks. Contained in the plan for drivers is a scheme for greater fines and penalties to ensure that works do finish on time. And I'll make sure that we look at his suggestion and I wholeheartedly back his campaign. The leader of the Scottish Nationalists. Stephen Flynn. Thank you, Madam Deputy Speaker. Is the Prime Minister worried that he is projected to be the first Conservative Party leader to lose a general election to a fellow Thatcherite? Hear the Prime Minister, and we've got a lot of questions to get through. It's it's not the Prime Minister's opponents who are giving him trouble. Prime Minister, Madam Deputy Speaker, I say to the Honourable Gentleman, Margaret Thatcher's view was cut inflation, then cut taxes, and then win an election, and that's very much my plan. Of, of course, Madam Deputy Speaker, it's not just in relation to Margaret Thatcher where the Tory and Labour leader appear to agree. The same is true of the government's latest migration policies. Now, for those of us on these benches, we aren't afraid to say that we believe migration is a good thing. Yeah. It, enriches, it enriches our communities, it enriches our economy, it enriches our universities, our schools, our health service, and of course, our care sector. So in that regard, can I ask the Prime Minister, why does he think it is acceptable to ask people to come to these shores to care for our family members whilst we show complete disregard for theirs? What has become of this place? Madam Speaker, it's completely wrong. As we've already said, we have a proud track record of welcoming those who are most vulnerable around the world. Over half a million over the past few years from Syria, Afghanistan, Ukraine, Hong Kong and elsewhere. And that's what this country will always do. But at the same time, when it comes to economic migration and other forms, it's absolutely right that we take strong action to curb the levels that we have seen because they are simply far too high and place unsustainable pressure on our public services. And, Madam Speaker, I make no apology for saying that or indeed saying that it is important that those who come here contribute to our public services. Thank you, Madam Deputy Speaker. Can I first of all welcome the Government's significant funding increase for two-year-olds preschooling in 2023? But the illustrative 24-25 DfE funding to Dorset Council for two-year-olds preschooling is looking to be a net 17 pence per hour less than it is today, and it is giving West Dorset preschools some nervousness about their sustainability. Will my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, support me to ensure that educational funding formulas for this will be taking into account the challenges of rural living and allow excellent preschools to... We've got it, Prime Minister. Deputy Speaker, uh, in a couple of years' time, we'll have increased spending to over £8 billion every year on free hours and early education, which will help working families with childcare costs. Indeed, it's the single biggest investment in childcare in England ever. But my honourable friend makes an excellent point, and that's why we will ensure that there is a discretionary supplement in the local authority's local funding formula for rural communities to account for the smaller economies of scale and ensure that they can continue to deliver their very vital work. 
Stephen Farrell. Nine months on from the Windsor Framework, I thank the Prime Minister for his ongoing efforts to restore the Northern Ireland Assembly and Executive. However, if and when the institutions are restored, they will still be plagued by the same structural weaknesses that have seen repeated collapses and unfairness around things like designations. This week, the Northern Ireland Affairs Committee published a report calling for a review of the Good Friday Agreement. Many architects of the agreement, such as Tony Blair, John Major and Bertie Ahern, have recognised the case for reform. So can the Prime Minister commit to an early review of the agreement to improve its stability, effectiveness and fairness? Prime Minister. Yeah, so I recognise the Honourable Member's campaigning on this issue, and I have got great respect for his position. Indeed, we have spoken on a number of occasions, both here and on my visits to Northern Ireland. Uh, my focus right now is on getting the institutions up and running, and my overarching priority is to get public services back on track in Northern Ireland, which is, I know is an ambition that he and I share. Any reform of institutions are best dealt with with the support of all parts of the community. But when it comes to restoring the current institutions, the government is doing everything it can to support efforts, and I know the Secretary of State will be in touch and engagement with the parties imminently on that point. Dick Fletcher. Thank you, Madam Deputy Speaker. Yesterday, 13 men died by suicide. Today, 88 men will die of heart disease. Tomorrow and every day, 90,000 men will wake up in prison. And we have 2.2 million boys living today at home with no dad. We thankfully have an excellent Cabinet Minister for Women. We have an excellent Minister for Women. So will the Prime Minister meet with me to discuss the merits of a Minister for Men and Boys? Because as Warren Farrell states, one one sex losers, both sex lose. Yay. Can I um, say to my honourable friend that he should be commended for his tireless campaigning? on this issue. Uh, he's particularly right to focus on suicide, and that's why I'm grateful for his engagement with the suicide prevention strategy, which sets out the actions that we will take to reduce suicides in the coming years. But it's also uh, a thanks partly into his campaigning that on International Men's Day, we announced that we are appointing the first men's health ambassador and launching a men's health task force. And I look forward to continued collaboration with him so that we can represent his concerns adequately. Simon Lightwood. Thank you, Madam Deputy Speaker. Convicted criminals are being held in police station cells across West Yorkshire because this government has completely failed to deliver more prison places. Two thirds of prisons overcrowded, criminals let out early if sentenced at all, only 2% of rapists reaching court, serious violence up 60%, knife crime up by 70%, and nearly 65,000 cases waiting to be heard. So, Prime Minister, how can you reassure the residents of Wakefield that they are safe on our streets? Yeah. Well, Madam Deputy Speaker, we have a clear plan to protect victims, punish criminals and cut crime. We are investing £400 million more in fact, in prison places, on top of the £4 billion that I announced as Chancellor, which is delivering 20,000 new cells. We are also making sure that rapists serve every day of their sentences and ensuring that life means life for the worst offenders, something that I hope that the Labour Party will be supporting soon. Sir Oliver Heels. My constituents, Kerry and Francis Menai Davis, are in the public gallery today, and they lost their son after a long battle with cancer where they visited him in hospital every day. They've set up a charity called It's Never You to help parents uh, in that situation. And on Monday, I intend to uh, present a bill which would ask the government to report on what support can be given 
to parents in that situation, and I hope he might ask ministers to discuss this with me so that we can find a way forward to help parents in this dreadful situation. Well, can I express my sympathies to my royal friends' constituents for what they have been through and commend them uh, for setting up the It's Never You charity? I will ensure that the uh, organisers and he get the appropriate meeting with the minister to discuss their important work. He's absolutely right. Parents that are in that situation should have all the support that they need, and we'll make sure that that happens. Rebecca Long-Bailey. Thank you, Madam Deputy Speaker. One in five of my residents live in fuel poverty, and this winter looks to be the most brutal yet, according to Cornwall Insights, with the current trajectory in energy prices expected to be the new norm for the rest of the decade. As the Prime Minister will know, one of the best ways to support households would be the introduction of a social tariff. He promised a consultation by summer this year. We're still waiting. When will the consultation be released? Madam Deputy Speaker, we've also provided considerable support in the here and now for households with their energy bills. £900 of direct cost of living support this financial year, on top of a record increase in benefits, along with winter fuel payments of up to £300 this winter for for pensioners, because they're particularly vulnerable. And we will continue to look at all support uh, that we have to ensure that those who need it are getting the help that they deserve. Andrew Salou. Will the Prime Minister salute South West Bedfordshire's contribution to our nation's energy security for having had the tallest wind turbine in England, the largest battery in Europe, and now the most powerful wind turbine in England, which has local support? And can we also ensure that my constituents now get cheaper energy bills for hosting this vital infrastructure? Madam Deputy Speaker, uh, I can say uh, that we are looking exactly at how local communities can benefit when new infrastructure is uh, in their vicinity as part of our new plan for increased energy security. But also, can I commend his local area for the contribution they're making to our clean energy transition? It's a great example of this country's fantastic track record in delivering net zero and decarbonising faster than any other major economy. Not something that you'll hear from the party opposite, but something that we on this side of the House are very proud of. Madam Deputy Speaker, the Government failed on their legal duty to publish a report on spiking by April, stating that they were reconsidering whether their rationale for not introducing a specific offence for spiking was sound. Will the Prime Minister clarify when and if this spiking report will ever be published, and does he agree with me and colleagues right across this House that the only sound approach to this issue is to create a specific criminal offence for spiking? Madam Deputy Speaker, this is an issue that has been reviewed by legal police colleagues. Uh, I am, uh, my latest understanding is that the existing laws did cover the offence of spiking, but of course I'm happy to ensure that she gets uh, a letter which explains the position. Paul Holmes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very kind. Not content with being the third most indebted council in England with a debt of 670 million, Lib Dem Eastley Borough Council Shame. recently refinanced Shame. their failed One Horton Heath housing project to the tune of £148 million with no houses built Shame. and interest payments of £386,000 per month. Will the Prime Minister now ask Dulug to intervene and independently investigate this development and, and ask for a meeting 
with the minister relevant to discuss this terrible decision by Eastleigh Borough Council. Terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Terrible. Well, Madam Deputy Speaker, I am aware that some local authorities, including the one he mentioned, have taken excessive risks with borrowing and investment practices. That's why we've taken a range of measures to strengthen the regulatory framework to prevent this from happening, and that includes new powers that make it quicker and easier for the government to step in when councils do take on excessive risks through borrowing. I'll ensure that he gets a meeting with the relevant minister to raise his concerns, because his constituents deserve better. Mary Glyndon. Thank you, Madam Deputy Speaker. National Energy Action says 30% of North Tyneside's are in fuel poverty, 3,000 homes have legacy prepayment meters, and we are in the bottom 5% for energy efficiency. But the Chancellor announced no new funding to help people this winter. We're now in Advent, so what Christmas message does the Prime Minister have for my constituents who are freezing in their homes? Madam Deputy Speaker, as I've outlined, we've provided considerable support for particularly vulnerable families this year and through this winter. We're also investing record sums in improving the energy efficiency and insulation of vulnerable homes through our home upgrade scheme and indeed the warm homes discount, which on average can save people hundreds of pounds in their energy bills when they receive that support. And we're expanding those programmes across the country, including in the North East. Flick Drummond. Thank you very much, Madam Deputy Speaker. The International Criminal Court Prosecutor, Karim Khan, KC, has concluded its first visit to Israel and Palestine and stated we must show that the law is there on the front lines and it's capable of protecting all. What support will Britain offer to the International Criminal Court to conduct investigations into the conduct of all parties in Israel, Gaza and the West Bank before and since October the 7th? Well, Madam Deputy Speaker, as is well known, we are a strong and long-standing supporter of the International Criminal Court. When it comes to the situation in Gaza, we have been consistent in saying that international humanitarian law has to be respected. All parties must take every possible step to avoid harming civilians. And I can say that I stressed this point specifically just yesterday to Prime Minister Netanyahu. Gregory Campbell. Thank you. The Prime Minister is aware that the household tax known as the television licence fee is due to rise in April in line with inflation. Given the ongoing household budget constraints that all our constituents are faced with, increasing childcare costs as well as ongoing unresolved staffing issues at BBC Northern Ireland, National BBC Television, National BBC uh, Radio, is now not the right time to proceed with an even larger £3.7 billion licence fee budget enhanced yet again? Well, Madam Deputy Speaker, we have already uh, agreed a fair settlement with the BBC that will see the licence fee remain frozen until 2024. I think the Honourable Member raises an excellent point, and I've been clear that the, the licence fee in the BBC needs to be realistic about what is uh, possible in an environment like this, and it should only rise at a level that people can actually afford. The Culture Secretary has said we're looking at this issue right now, and she'll set out more detail in due course. Jack Brereton. Thank you, Madam Deputy Speaker. 
Longton, which is the largest town in my constituency, has not benefited from future high streets funding, from town deals, or the latest long-term plan for towns. So will my right hon. Friend ensure that we can have some investment into Longton from the Government? And particularly, does he agree with me that the latest award of HLF money to Stoke-on-Trent, some of that should definitely be invested in Longton? My uh, hon. Friend is a tireless champion for his local community, and I know there has been considerable investment in his area over the past few years in lots of different ways. He makes an excellent point about making sure that nobody misses out from the considerable resources that are being invested in Stoke, and I'll ensure that the levelling up department takes his concerns very seriously. We are running uh, way over time, but I appreciate it would be great disappointment to people whose names are on the order paper if they're not called. So I'm trying my best to call everyone whose name is on the order paper, but I make a plea for brevity, please. Kerry McCarthy. Thank you. When the Prime Minister is taking a dip in his pool or he's on the beach at his place in California, he doesn't have to worry about swimming in sewage. The rest of us don't have it so good. So why won't he back Labour's plans for criminal liability for ward to company bosses who fail to clean up their act? Madam Deputy Speaker, we've already brought forward regulations that ensure there can be unlimited fines for water companies, and there have been dozens of criminal prosecutions. But what I would say is, when we had a plan, that, when we had a debate in this House on exactly a plan that would do all of this, who didn't show up to vote? It was the Labour Party. Yeah. Oh. James Sunderland. Very good point. Madam Deputy Speaker, in recent weeks I have seen firsthand the extraordinary work conducted by specialist care staff at Accident and Emergency. As politicians, we are often guilty of using the NHS as a political football, but when it becomes personal, one is reminded that what we have in the UK is very special. Will the Prime Minister join me in simply thanking our superb NHS staff in Bracknell, across Berkshire, in neighbouring Basingstoke and Fridley Park hospitals and beyond? Madam Deputy Speaker, NHS staff are at the heart of what makes our health service work. There wouldn't be an NHS without them, their skill, their expertise, their dedication. I was delighted that I could pay them my thanks last week in person, and I join my honourable friend in thanking NHS staff, not just in his constituency, but right across the country, for their dedicated hard work and public service. Dame Nia Griffith. Thank you very much, Madam Deputy Speaker. Well, it's now six years since Bishop James Jones published the Hillsborough Report, and only today, finally, do we get the government response. But when will the government introduce not just a voluntary charter or an independent public advocate or a code for ethical policing, but a full Hillsborough law to force those in public office to cooperate fully with investigations and to guarantee fairer funding for those affected by major tragedy to challenge public institutions. Well, Madam Deputy Speaker, as I've said, I'm profoundly sorry for what the Hillsborough families have been through. And as I said, my honourable friend, the Justice Secretary, will be making a full statement immediately after PMQs. Dr Caroline Johnson. And I refer members to my registered members' interest. As someone who has worked as a junior doctor, I understand it's a demanding job and I have sympathy with the challenges they face. However, the strikes that are planned over the festive period threaten public safety and they will delay people's treatment. Causing patient suffering in the pursuit of more money for oneself is, in my view, morally indefensible. Can the Prime Minister tell the House what concrete steps he is taking 
to prevent these strikes and whether he'll bring forward minimum service legislation to protect patients in case they do. Yeah. Yeah. Now, can I, my honourable friend makes an excellent point and speaks from a position of experience on this issue. The government has now reached settlements with every other part of the public sector, including most recently consultants, and I'm grateful to them for their constructive engagement with the government. Uh, the junior doctors are taking action in the face of a recommendation from an independent body of a 9% pay rise on average, the highest increase across the entire public sector. The government has gone beyond that in conversations with them, and they have still decided to take damaging strike action. It is wrong, and that is why we have introduced minimum service levels to ensure that we can guarantee a safe level of care for patients across the NHS. And It would be good to hear at some point from the Labour Party whether we will get off the fence, condemn these strikes, and back these minimum service laws. Thank you, Madam Deputy Speaker. Universal credit is broken. One constituent tells me that DWP is refusing to reimburse her childcare payments because it was four days late mm. due to her phone being broken. She's down £1,200, unable to pay for childcare. She has lost her job and is likely to have to move house. With three weeks to go before Christmas, she is extremely anxious and distressed. Does the Prime Minister realise the real consequences for real people of this broken system? Well, Madam Deputy Speaker, I'm sorry to hear about the circumstances of the Honourable Lady's constituent, and if she writes, I'll make sure that we get specific support in place for her and ensure that she gets access to what she needs. But when it comes to universal credit, I do strongly disagree with her, in fact. It was only because of the actions of the Honourable Right Honourable Member for Chingford and Woodford Green that universal credit was implemented, and it is the only reason we were able to get support to millions of vulnerable people through the pandemic. It was because we replaced the legacy system with universal credit that that was possible, and it was opposed at every step by the Labour Party. Simon Baines. Thank you, Madam Deputy Speaker. It is always a pleasure to work closely with my right honourable friend, the member for Montgomeryshire, in delivering important projects like the Llanamunnock Pant Bypass on the border with North Shropshire, and today is another example of our partnership. As my right honourable friend is unfortunately unable to ask a question in his role as the Prime Minister's PPS, would the Prime Minister join me in highlighting his work with the FUW, the Farmers' Union of Wales, in organising the terrific celebrations of Montgomeryshire Day in the Jubilee Room straight after questions? Madam Deputy Speaker, my honourable friend is, uh, is an excellent campaigner for his constituents, as indeed is the right honourable friend, the member for Montgomeryshire. It's fantastic to see these local projects being delivered in their area. I'm grateful to my honourable friend for teaching me how to pronounce the Pant-Clanomanic Bypass in my first budget. And I'm delighted to declare from the dispatch box that today is now officially Montgomeryshire Day, and I look forward to everyone celebrating in the Jubilee Room straight after questions. Thank you, Madam Deputy Speaker. Final question, Gerald Jones. 
Madam Deputy Speaker, if I could beg your indulgence just briefly to wish my constituent attacked during yesterday's serious incident in Aberfan a speedy recovery and yeah. thank the emergency services and school staff for their swift and professional response. Yeah. Madam Deputy Speaker, Britain is getting smaller on the world stage under this Prime Minister's watch. His climate failures mean our children and grandchildren bearing the brunt of the costs. His plans and undermining Britain's energy security. Bills are still sky high for working families, and yet he's hiking the tax burden and real living standards are falling by over 3%. Tinkering with a reset just isn't and doesn't compensate for 13 years of failure, does it, Prime Minister? Yeah. Yeah. Speaker, first of all, can I say that my thoughts are with the victim and her family about the awful incident that took place on the streets of Aberfan. We wish them a, a full and speedy recovery. And I also join him in thanking the emergency services for their immediate response. But he talked about leaving our children and our grandchildren with costs. And he actually is right, Madam Deputy Speaker, to raise that, because that is important that we don't do that. And the question then for him and the party opposite is why do they want to embark on a green borrowing spree of yeah. £28 billion pounds a year that just means higher taxes for our children and our grandchildren, higher mortgage rates. It's the same old story. Reckless borrowing and the British people paying the price. Thank you. That concludes Prime Minister's questions.